This is where the industry insiders come to play. The download on the download. Movers and shakers off the course and the pros inside the ropes. Welcome to Slice with Brian Bushlack. Presented by True Spec Golf. Save 50% on your custom club fitting experience with the promo code SLICE50. Visit TrueSpecGolf.com and click on Book Now. He was the first on-course golf announcer, and he's outlasted all of his contemporaries. How has Mark Rolfing done it? Well, he's versatile. A lot of big egos in TV sports, and some guys aren't willing or talented enough to handle multiple roles. Rolf does it all, walking the course one day, in the tower the next, and the following week he's back in studio wearing a suit and tie. He's hosting charity events, reporting live, and mixing it up with the players and always, always getting that little extra nugget nobody else did because he shows up early and does his homework. He's Mr. Hawaii in January, a fixture at the Masters every April, the U.S. Open, Senior Open, Ryder Cup, all the big events, and even a breaking news interview we enjoyed this past week with Ben Crenshaw, who reflected on the passing of one of his mentors, the great Masters champion, Jackie Burke. And these days, when so many reporters turn their questions into a word salad, Rolf set up that interview with quick questions and let Ben Crenshaw reflect, which was so refreshing and a beautiful tribute to Jackie Burke. Always a good time catching up with NBC and Golf Channel's Mark Rolfing. Well, Rolf, uh, great to see you again. Thanks for joining us. A busy couple of weeks for you. Uh, we'll recap everything, but I want you to set the scene here. You're coming to us from Kohanaiki on the Big Island, and tell us what's going on this week. Uh, yeah, we got a little event called The Q, which was named after my favorite barbecue. And uh, it's a bunch of old-timers, mostly Champions Tour-type guys that come down after Mitsubishi ends up at Hawaii on Saturday night. But there's some other guys that aren't playing in that event, like Lee Trevino and Tom Watson and Ben Crenshaw. And it's just a fun kind of event with the members here and everybody kind of getting back together and playing a little golf and just having lots of laughs and doing a lot of reminiscing, I can tell you that. <laughs> it sounds like a fun event. Yeah, the whole Big Island golf scene these days just totally intrigues me. The Big Island was kind of behind the other islands in a lot of ways in terms of the golf development, although... Robert Trent Jones built Mauna Kea back in 1964 before anybody was building golf courses on lava. But uh, Debbie and I come over here about four times a year to Kohanaiki, and uh, it's our dream place. It's only 20 miles from Maui, and uh, and once we get here, we never leave. Just drive the golf cart around and have a blast. That's a beautiful place. We've been fortunate to stay there thanks to Chuck Carey and uh, the team there. They got a great group there. I know some of your friends there going way, way back to to the early days of Kapalua, right? Yeah, Marty Kiter. You know, he used to be the director of golf here, but now I don't know what his title is. He may not have one because he doesn't actually have a job. All he does is play golf with the members, but he does that better than anybody I've ever seen. So good on him. <laughs> well, that's great. We appreciate the update there and hope you have a great week. And uh, it's been a busy couple of weeks. Let's rewind the tape a little bit to the Sony again. What a finish. I mean, what is it about that tournament that 
practically every other year we get a playoff. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, the two tournaments have sort of switched personalities and roles in Hawaii over the years. You know, in the beginning, the plantation course was this hard monster over on Maui, you know, with the toughest greens on the PGA Tour, and, you know, scoring was all pretty high. Wileye, you know, was a pretty straightforward, no rough, gentle dog legs and greens where you can make it everywhere from 20 feet. Scoring was always better at Wileye, and now they've totally switched. Uh, the scores are typically twice as low at Kapalua as they are at Sony. And uh, as usual, that 18th hole at Sony delivers all kinds of drama. It's almost impossible to drive the ball in that fairway. It's the hardest fairway on the PGA Tour to hit as far as I'm concerned. Straight dog leg left. You know it well. And as firm as the ground is over there now, if you land in the fairway, it's not staying in the fairway. So there's been a lot of drama. These full field events, it's interesting. All the talk is about the signature events and, you know, the majors and all this kind of stuff now. But I'm firmly convinced there's a role in the game going forward with these full field events that have produced some really, really good stories. We saw it last year at the Honda Classic and a number of events, Canadian Open. And so I just hope that whatever happens in the world of golf, you know, we keep a handle on, on reality and still have a bunch of uh, full field, full cut events. Yeah, we'll talk more about that as things shake out here in a bit. Uh, you touched on Kapalua, and it is interesting. There was some talk uh, during the broadcast. I'm not sure if you were involved in that because I was kind of coming and going, but there's talk about maybe uh, you know lowering par. Is that something that's being discussed in terms of that tournament specifically? There is, Brian. I think that probably would have happened this past event had we not had the uh, tragic fire in Lahaina on August 8th. The full plan was to begin with number five, which is a par five up on the mountain, plays very much like the ninth hole that Wileye does. The scoring average for the last three years has averaged almost within a couple of tenths of a point of the same, and it's about 4.1. I've never liked, frankly, the par 73. You know, it was a discussion, I would say an animated one I had with Bill Coor and Ben Crenshaw originally when they built the course. I really felt like Par 72 would have some relevance if we were playing a lot of championship golf there, but it didn't happen that way, and now I think we'll get back to it. I think it will be a par 72. Now, that's not going to change the way the whole plays. All it's going to change is the scoring relative to par. Yeah, well, you've been famous for talking about the trade wins over the years. That's another thing, too, that it's shifted right in the most recent years, so that also impacts this quite a bit, doesn't it? Here we go again. Uh, I think I complained to you about it a year ago. You know, we're going through a climate change. I don't know how permanent it is or how long this whatever streak we're in, but I can tell you it's been five years since we've had a really good trade wind at Kapalua. And I was studying some climate change stats the other day. In the last 40 years, uh, the number of actual trade wind days that Hawaii has has dropped dramatically. Used to be over 300 days a year were absolute trade winds. That is not the case anymore. And so you've got some holes, especially with quirky winds, that play completely different. I was out on the seventh hole at Kapalua on Tuesday, practice round day. The hole was playing just over 535, a touch over, about 537. And Hideki Matsuyama drove the ball on the green, onto the green. Now, and he's not even the longest hitter or wouldn't even be in that category on the PGA Tour. But it, it was a wind that was kind of coming from the east, due east. So it was going straight down the mountain, which is very rare. And the golf course just was playing totally backwards because of that wind. And I yearn for a trade wind, but I don't know if we'll get it again. Well, you 
on the broadcast, I think, also on, uh, I can't remember which round it was, but on number 11 and number 12, you remarked that there was a wind, I think, coming from the north kind of into 11 and across 12. Is that correct? Yeah, it was a strange one. It was coming straight across on 12. The best play at that point was to leave the ball up on top in that fairway, which guys never do. In fact, early in the week, everybody was driving it. So, yeah, I think because of that, you know, the control-type game was favored a little bit more than the power game. I wouldn't call Chris Kirk a power player. The Gala's a little bit more of a power player maybe than Chris Kirk. But you had to really think through where you were leaving your ball for your shots there. And it was a strange win, that's for sure. Next question is, how's everybody doing? I mean, we've had some time now to kind of, I guess, decompress after Kapalua. Uh, You know everyone there. What was the impact of having that come back uh, really for everyone on the island? It's almost immeasurable, Brian. Just being able to stage that event gave us a beacon of hope over there. I would tell you the situation, you know, after the unimaginable tragedy really has not gotten a whole lot better yet. We're still facing the same issues that we did the week after the wildfires. We need schools desperately. We need housing. Housing is the number one problem. There was a housing issue on Maui even before the century and before the wildfires, and now it's even worse, as you can imagine. But the players, I can't begin to tell you how they stepped up. And it started right after the wildfires with Tom Morikawa and Xander Stoffley and Tony Finau and a bunch of guys really made it kind of their mission to not forget about Lahaina, you know, and, and all of a sudden come and play for $20 million at Kapalua and take the money and run. Nobody did that. There was some amazing fundraising initiatives that went on during tournament week, early in the week, and actually during the tournament. And it just provided a spark of energy for that island that it really, really needed. I guess as a, a friend, a tourist, someone who's been there, been going there almost annually for 40 years, you know, the initial feeling is that, I guess, almost guilt. And, you, you know, you, you don't want to go back because you feel guilty. But it's actually the opposite, right, where everybody now wants everyone to come back because that's what everyone needs to get this going again. Yeah, certainly we're hoping the tourists come back. You know, we're asking them to be respectful, just as we are that live there. But, yes, I mean, tourism is the economic engine that keeps people alive on that island. And uh, so many jobs were lost, so many houses, that the worst thing that could happen now is if the tourists stayed away for a couple of years, you'd see a pretty mass exodus of people leaving the island because they couldn't afford to live there anymore. So yes, come to Maui, be respectful. The golf courses are open. The hotels from Kanapali and North are open. The only thing really that is different is Lahaina. And uh, I think in a lot of ways, you're going to see a change when you see Lahaina again. It will thrive. There's no doubt in my life it will thrive again. But people have a misperception, Brian, of Lahaina. Everybody felt like it was nothing but a tourist town. That was a residential community. The average household income in Lahaina is less than $50,000. It was the people that worked primarily on the maintenance crews and in the golf operations at Kapalua and Kanapali. And the homes were five, six generation old homes there. And so... We need to find a way to recapture that. People don't want to leave, and they want to stay where they were in Lahaina. So I think you're going to start seeing some real serious planning going on, but it's going to take a long time and be very expensive. 
Yeah, and that's my next question was, you know, the memories we all have. Obviously, you, you've lived there for 50 years. But, you know, as a kid, uh, you know, taking the boat over to Lanai and, you know, all the time spent in downtown Lahaina eating ice cream and walking through the shops and all that. What does the future look like? What I mean, I haven't seen a whole lot of, you know, what next? What is next? I mean, what's the plan to rebuild and to, you know, start anew, I guess? There's really three things that are going on right now. The first is the cleanup. It's a very serious cleanup. It's going to take a long time. It's still not finished. There's a lot of toxic ash, both on the ground and likely in the air, hopefully not in the water, but we'll find that out as time goes on. There's a number of structures in Lahaina that still remain standing. Some that have been damaged, some haven't, but I don't know how you could keep those structures and rebuild around them. I'm just not sure it would be safe down the line. The other issue is you have to remember Lahaina is a very historic town. It was the capital of the Kingdom of Hawaii back in the 1850s, and there were 23 historic sites that were destroyed in the wildfires on August 8th. Now, you can't just all of a sudden go start building those historic structures somewhere else. They have to be where they were, the Pioneer Inn and everything that was down at at the harbor. So it's not just a matter of having an architect, you know, draw up a little Pleasantville and, you know, design some streets and sewers and power lines and things like that and then build a town. You've got to try and, and maintain as much of what was Lahaina as possible, and that's going to take some time. Yeah, no question. And not to mention the fact that 100 people lost their lives. And that was the one of the first things I thought of was, you know, there has to be a memorial. There has to be a park. There has to be along the wall there. I mean, somewhere. I mean, there has to be a plan for that, too, right? Oh, yeah, there will be for sure. But if you think about it, Brian, what happened on that day in some ways was a miracle because Debbie and I were at home and the power went out on Monday night, August 7th. Now, you think about the difference had the power been on in Lahaina the next day. First of all, there would have been about 1,800 kids in school right in the middle of Lahaina that would have had no way out. That would have been just horrendous with all the kids. But school was called off, and so nobody was in Lahaina at school that day and also all the restaurants were closed because of no power and all the shops all the art galleries the maui outlets mall those whole places some people are estimating there would have been five or six thousand tourists in lahaina there was only one tourist that perished out of the hundred in that entire fire so the end result of it could have been so much worse than it was so in a big way to me that was miraculous yeah, and these are the stories that uh, many of us haven't heard. So that is uh, that is remarkable, and, and I guess that is, you know, good to hear in retrospect. So it sounds like this obviously is going to take, I mean, a number of years, maybe a decade, right, to bring this back. Is that a good time horizon? or A couple of decades, maybe. Uh, everybody's kind of working on a five-year interim plan. There's a couple of temporary schools that are going to be built that will then be vacated theoretically for housing that we desperately need. Those are all on five-year plans for leasing land and things like that. What's going to happen, Brian, is Lahaina is going to shift to the north. Kanapali and Kapalua are going to become, in a lot of ways, Lahaina, way more a part of Lahaina than they were before, because that's where all the displaced people are living now. And I think in a way that's good. 
you know, the separation between a Kapalua and a Lahaina was always pretty, pretty severe and pretty jarring in a lot of ways. Not so much for the residents like us, but for the tourists. You know, you stayed out of Kapalua and you went into Lahaina to go to dinner and things like that. It's going to become more of one and the same, I think, in this whole West Maui community. It's going to have to come together now to, to make this recovery work. I think you'll see more of a blending of Lahaina into the areas further north, like Katapali and Kapalua. So kind of the Whalers Village area then in that kind of zone? Is that? Yeah, Whalers Village is packed right now. You know, the hotels are open now. Having said that, there's still 6,000 people on Maui that are living in hotel rooms that have been displaced from their homes, which there shouldn't be one. That's the end goal. Uh, not that the hotels aren't nice, but that's not where a family should live, especially with a number of kids and things like that. They shouldn't be living in a hotel room. And some of the families have moved three, four, five times from hotel to hotel. So it is a complicated puzzle, but everybody's working hard on it and everybody knows what the priorities are right now. And it sounds like from a tourist perspective with the activities there, I know our friends at Trilogy, you know, they're going out of Ma'alia now. And so they're they're in business, I guess. Have most of the tourist-related businesses been able to get back up and running? You know, I wouldn't say most of them because so many of those smaller businesses are family-type businesses, including Trilogy. And you've got a number of people who, in losing their homes and everything, are really sort of spending their time trying to figure out getting their lives together. And so finding employees is very difficult right now. You know, some of the attractions and smaller companies, I don't know what the future is going to be. Certainly, if there aren't visitors coming, it's going to severely impact their ability to be sustainable. You know, the traffic is becoming an issue. There's only one road on that island. So just the difference of, let's say, being at Kapalua and wanting to go on Trilogy, you know, the drive to Malaya now is a long one and a tough one. And it, I would think gives people a tendency to say, oh, I'm not going to do that. I'll do something else today. So, yeah, there's a lot of very difficult challenges that we're being faced with. It's a society that really there and a group of people that are there that want to see this rebuild as was or as close to it as possible and that love Maui and don't want to have to leave the island. I want to ask you a personal question. You've lived there for 50 years. You're known as Mr. Hawaii you're the ambassador how hard was this for you to see this and go through this it was difficult and still is difficult i'll never forget going on the golf channel the first time that somebody had gone live out of west maui it was about eight days after the fire and i had a little satellite uplink near where we live and went on with rich lerner and the pregame show at bmw and i had no idea what i was going to say and barely got through that one but I will tell you, even last Saturday, last Saturday, Tommy Roy flew the airplane that was shooting the aerials of Kapalua and the Century, um, and he flew the plane down to Lahaina, and it basically hovered a couple of miles offshore, and he turned my mic on and said, go. And uh, we went all the way from the beginning of Front Street, where the highway was, all the way down Front Street, all the way to the harbor, very slowly. And I tried to describe to people what had happened and what I feel like is going to happen there and and how important everybody's support is. And by the time we got to the end, I thought, wow, I hope we're just about done because I'm not sure I'm going to make it through this. So it's still very, very difficult to talk about and think about. 
I saw the fire at four o'clock that afternoon, not from the heart of Lahaina, but from very close. It's something that is really unimaginable, like I said before. Uh, I hope nothing like that ever happens again. There was always a little bit of a worry for Lahaina that we're still worried about it. You know, that part of the island really is, um, there's a lot of non-native grasses and, and brushy areas that have developed since the pineapple went away and the sugar cane. And, and yeah, there's a lot of beautiful hotels and homes and condos and all that, but there's also a lot of vacant brushland that needs to be taken care of. Or otherwise, I think a tragedy like that could happen again. Yeah, at the very least, a fire break. I guess on the east side, somewhere up the hill, right, would be... Yeah, they got to figure out a way out. I mean, there's only one artery in Lahaina to get out of town on both ends, and that just simply isn't sufficient. Yeah, and that road, not only is there only one, but it's the same road it was in 1980. I mean, right, it has not even barely been expanded. So, uh, yeah, lots to think about as we move forward here. And I think, you know, based on what you've shared the best thing all of us can do is just get over there and enjoy the island again, as you said, respectfully, and that'll help everybody. And And one thing we can do is play golf, and that's a great thing here. And as kind of transitioning back to that conversation and how things play out here, you more than anybody have been associated with the game really longer than anybody who's been on television anywhere. And so I want to get your perspective because a lot has happened in the last year, and right now there seems to be – some peacemaking going on between the guys who stayed and the guys who left, of course, some back and forth between Rory and Phil via social media, which as a fan is good to see. I mean, because, you know, from a fan perspective, that's been the most disappointing thing is to see the clash between these guys over the last year. And it seems like they're starting to kind of come back together, regardless of how this plays out. Are you seeing that as well? I'm starting to get more optimistic. I'll tell you, I wasn't very optimistic uh, in the middle of the year. I kind of felt like uh, I was falling out of love with the game that I've always loved a little bit. Had just about had it with a number of guys. I was pretty anti-live in the beginning. And I guess for a while, I felt like the guys that were loyal to the PGA Tour in some way should have been rewarded for it. But a couple of things changed last year, Brian. Uh, the two big changes, really, in, in my mind, were the biggest one by far is when PJ Tour made the framework agreement on June 6th that was announced by Jay Monahan. When they made that agreement with the Saudis, that pretty much validated the fact that it's okay to do business with the Saudis if you want to. That was almost like a green light. Who could say to John Rahm, hey, you can't go do this? So I think Rahm's decision was quite a bit easier, and certainly the reaction to what Rom did was not nearly the same as it was for the guys two years ago. The other thing that I think changed that's kind of been glossed over a little bit is the performance of Kepka and Mickelson at the Masters and then Kepka winning the PGA. Once Kepka won the PGA, it showed that, hey, you can go to Lyft. Uh, a lot of guys aren't driving in their game right now, haven't gone over there, but some still are. And I think Kepka is one of them. That could well have been the perfect move for Brooks Kepka if you think about it. Having said that, I talked to a lot of players, most of the players, I would say, at Kapalua. And I left that week firmly believing that within two years, maybe not next January, but by January of 2026, every one of the best players in the world will be back there at Kapalua playing in the century on some kind of tour. I don't know what it's going to be. It'll be some sort of global tour that's going to exist, but I'm 
I'm feeling very, very comfortable that they are working toward an agreement. I think there will be one. It's, it's going to make some people unhappy, but for the top players, I think you will see them all back together again. Well, that's good because that's what we want to see. And I mean, that, you know, I love watching your coverage and I enjoyed, you know, it's when you're out shoveling two feet of snow, as I have been the past, often on the past 10 days, you know, to watch the, the coverage is just a, a relief. But to not see guys like Dustin Johnson and, and the others who, could have or should have been there, you know. I mean, and the things DJ's done there over the years. And I know for you, it's probably got to feel the same, right? You definitely miss it, right? I do for sure. You know, with DJ, I mean, I don't know. Will we ever know how good he really could have been? He is so good that he might be able to put this all behind him and come back and start playing at the highest level again. But the guy that struck me, who was staying, you know, in the hotel a half a mile down the hill from the plantation was John Romp. And he came because they love Maui. He and Kelly, his wife, do. And he had made a commitment to the island and, and had said publicly a number of times this was way bigger than Kapalua after the fire and that he wanted to make sure that he could do something for the community. And there he was, you know, not playing golf at Kapalua. Like, what's wrong with this picture? Defending champion. I got to tell you, <laughs> Century, who is, in my mind, the greatest sponsor on the PGA Tour. They are just amazing, the commitment they've made and the stuff they've done for our community. But they lost their their defending champion two years in a row. Two years in a row, their defending champion of their event was declared ineligible. I don't know. How long can we keep going with a model like that? Not very long. That's got to change quickly. Again, I would hope that maybe it would by next January, but if not, I'm pretty sure it's going to be by the January after. Now, that's good to hear. At least there's a, you know, a time frame there, and, and there is some conciliation going on between uh, some of the big names involved. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out here. And we look forward now to, obviously, there's some great golf along the way here, but you know, most of us now are counting down to the Masters, our trip to Augusta, and finalizing all that. And uh, I don't know about you, but I, you know, you mentioned Kepka, and uh, I was in Vegas with my buddy back in December, and I just... I did put some money actually on Kepka because I on a future because I really feel like this could be his year. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just have a sense that this could be one of the great masters we've seen in a long time. I think you're going to have a number of the top players playing really well. I've had a hunch about Rory for this masters for a long time, although I, I tend to go down with my McElroy picks quite a bit. He uh, I can't imagine how much he disappoints himself as, as much as he's disappointed me over the years. But um, And then I just look at this new group of players, and I was just so mesmerized watching Ludwig O'Bear at Kapalua. Man, what a nice young man. I got to meet him, spend a little time with him. Just very, very composed, great, great young man. He knew who I was, knew everything about me. Like, he had prepared for coming to Maui. There was no doubt about it. I don't know if I've ever seen anybody drive the ball any better than, than O'Bear drives it. I thought Rory was the greatest driver I'd ever seen. Of course, I thought Norman was when he was driving it great with that persimmon head. And, and Jack Nicklaus maybe was the greatest driver of all time. But I think this Masters is going to be very, very intriguing. I'm with you. I can't wait. And uh, all of these majors as we you know, sort through where we go from here. And I've asked you pretty much everything except about you. My friend, how are you doing? 
And what's your schedule look like this year? Where will we see you? When will we see you? And uh, how much longer are you going to do this? I mean, you've been living in the place where most people want to retire for most of your life. What's the prognosis there? (laughs) You know, for a while there, Brian, I was wondering how much longer I was going to do it, too. And as you know, a number of my colleagues who are in my age category, um, their careers kind of have come to an end the last few years. But it seems like NBC and Golf Channel want me to do more for a little while. I think I'm still fairly capable of doing the job. Uh, I got a lot of mileage plus. There's no question about that. But <laughs> it's always going to be the same thing for me. When I take off from Maui, I'm always sad. But when I land, I'm always happy. And I think you're going to see this year very similar schedule to the one I did before. It's pretty, pretty predictable. I'll be in uh, Connecticut for Golf Central for a couple of weeks in March, then I'll go down to Bay Hill. I'll be at Bay Hill. I'll be at the players. I'll do live from the majors, masters, US open PGA, uh, open championship. Um, probably a couple more appearances sometime in the summer, maybe uh, in particular with the FedEx cup playoffs, president's cup, Royal Montreal, you know, maybe Connecticut golf central in the fall a little bit. I I'm seeing a 15 or 16 week schedule. And then uh, we'll see what next year brings. But I, I'll tell you this. I know where I'm going to be the first couple of weeks next year, right back at Coppola <laughs> and Sony, that's for sure. Well, you just clicked off a dream schedule, a dream job right there. I mean, you've got all the you've got all the biggies, and you get all the fun stuff, too. And, I mean, you mix in some, uh, some studio time there. And, I mean, the President's Cup coming up, obviously Ryder Cup every other year. Why would you retire, right? Why would you walk away? I mean, I can't imagine you doing that. I can't imagine me doing it, but I will know at the point where I can't deliver the same kind of product that, that I'm able to now, I'm pretty certain I'll know. Um, I think I'm probably just as sharp as I was. In some ways, I might be a better announcer. I certainly think that since my cancer about eight years ago, I've become more frugal with my words and hopefully more poignant with my thoughts, and uh, it's just something that feels like the right thing to keep doing right now, so I'm going Did you ever imagine back in the 80s when was it Don Olmeyer gave you an opportunity? I mean, really, here you are darn near 45, 50 years later still doing it. I mean, it's a pretty remarkable career. Well, thank you very much. No, I can't imagine it. That was a great break from Don for sure. I just started my 39th year. I can't believe I've been in that chair that long or on the ground that long. Back then, if you think about it, there was no Gary McCord. There was no David Faraday yet. If you hadn't won a major championship, you probably weren't going to get a job as a golf analyst on TV. And uh, I remember early on saying to Don, you know, why would people watch me? You know, what do I have? He said, I think you have a way to communicate and connect with the regular golfer. And he gave me some tremendous advice. When I said, what should I do? I I don't know anything about being a golf announcer. And he basically just said, just be yourself. Don't go out there and try and be funny. You're not that funny. And I said, well, I can be pretty funny. And he said, no, just go be yourself. And so, um, you know, I've kind of lived by the same principles in terms of my announcing career since 39 years ago. And it really hasn't changed. And so that's what I'm going to keep doing. Well, we appreciate you doing it. And it's a good point because most of us are just Joe Sixpack here and you can't know everything. 
and to be able to be relatable to people. I mean, just uh, that's the best advice any any of us ever got in TV was just be yourself, and and nobody's done it better. Well, we appreciate you taking time out of uh, what I, I thought you were working this week, but I know you're not. But uh, enjoy your uh, your week there at Kanaiki, and uh, what a beautiful place. We gotta we gotta give those guys a shout out because I know you're there several times a year. For those who haven't been there, and this is a private resort, obviously, but that has to be one of the most special places on Earth. It really is. Uh, check it out, everybody. It's uh, right next to the airport. Instead of turning left to go to the main resort regions on uh, the Kona side, just turn right. It's only a mile down the road, uh, and check it out. You should. Good stuff, Ralph. Well, we appreciate your time and your insight, and uh, we'll be looking for you on Golf Channel as we continue the season. All right. Thanks, Brian. Mark Rolfing on location from the Big Island at Kohana Iki. And this actually sparked another conversation with our mutual friend, former baseball great Chuck Carey, who runs sales and marketing at Kohana Iki, another one of the great guys in the industry. So we've set up a Zoom with Chuck to tell you more about Kohana Iki. And I think we'll actually do an interactive virtual podcast where you can follow along with us and check it out on your phone or your pad while Chuck and I chat, so it'll be pretty cool. All that, and you never know, maybe a surprise or two, next time on Slice. Thanks for downloading Slice, a presentation of Feedback Media. All rights reserved. Full disclosure, our legal department doesn't allow mulligans. Mulligans.